Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thank you, worship team. It is good to, uh, to worship together, and it's good to know that all of you are watching in your homes and you're worshiping in your homes. And even though we're scattered, we're still one congregation. And, uh, you know, in getting ready for this, I was thinking about the changes that we're going through. You know, like longer hair. I'm hope, I, I think I'm going to set a goal. Leah, I'm going to set a goal. I am not going to let, it, let anything touch my hair for at least five more weeks. Maybe a Nazarite vow. You know, Nazarite vow where there's a, a, a swearing to be set apart and sacred for God. It's found in the Old Testament and nothing shall cut the hair on your head. And uh, so I'm thinking maybe, <clears throat> maybe I'll see how long I can grow my hair out. Maybe like a nice man bun. Jeff Gavin, you would look good in a man bun. Peter Flickinger, maybe if you can grow some payettes out, that would be pretty cool. Obviously, I'm just kidding. I think after however many days we've had separated like this, I don't know about you, do you come up with these crazy things in your mind, you know, like not cutting your hair? Ugh, that's where I'm at. So I want to start, and I'm, I'm very sensitive of the time that we're in right now. Last week, of course, was Resurrection Day. And before that, we started the Passover season. And so this is a most interesting time. And as I was thinking about this message, I, I started to think about what the early disciples were going through a week after the resurrection. So today, a, a week after the empty tomb was discovered, and I don't know that all of the disciples had heard about the resurrection, or uh, let me rephrase this, I don't know that all of the disciples had seen the Savior after the resurrection, but I'm sure that the word had been traveling from those that did see and I can't imagine how the conversations were going. I can't, I mean, just think about one disciple talking to another. I saw him. I saw him. And another disciple, well, you say you did, and Mary says you did, but I didn't see him. And I can't imagine the thoughts that went through their head a week afterward. And for the ones that saw him, how they must have felt, and the ones that didn't see him, even how they must have felt. What an electric time and a dynamic time in their lives uh, for all of the believers to be mindful of the risen Savior. It must have really been something. Now, I want to speak to this, but let's look a little more at what the disciples had going on in their, in their lives. They were in a season that goes back to, they were in a particular uh, commemoration time commanded in Leviticus 23, and it's known as counting of the Omer. And I want to read this from Levit Leviticus 23, verse 18. From the day after the Sabbath, the day that you bring the uh, bundle of grain. And by the way, we're talking about specifically, we're speaking to Passover time now. The day that you bring the, the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. So seven weeks of seven days, that's you know a week of weeks, some people call it, or 49 days. Uh, keep counting until the day after the seventh, or after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So when Passover occurs, there's a starting of a week of weeks. The counting of Omer begins. And each day it's marked off. Specifically, keep track is kept over each day. This is day one. This is day two. This is day three. This is day four. All the way up through 49 days. And the 50th day is a special day, and we know that holiday is Shavuot. 
That's the, the name of the holiday that, that's celebrated. And it, it's got its, of course, its direction and its essence. It, it comes from the command of the Lord in the book of Leviticus 23. So the disciples, of course, they would have observed these things. They would have observed Passover, which they, they did. We know they had Passover with uh, the Lord himself. And then they would have observed the counting of Omer, and they would have had different traditions at the time. And there's some sense, there's some good historical sense of some of the things that they did. And during this time, of course, uh, would have led up to Shavuot, this, this particular commemoration day on the 50th day. So the disciples were doing particularly specific, biblically specific uh, commands and directives after the resurrection. The counting of the armor is to point to multiple things. It gives all kinds of meaning for a number of things that occur in the scriptures. But one of them is the, uh, the reminder of the cultural journey to go from slaves to not just free, but thriving. So in the beginning, they had nothing. But then they, as they would, uh, as one day would go by and another day would go by and they would remember that journey when they left the land and they would remember all of the things that they got, all of the things that they had, all that the Lord did, the victories they had, the provisions of man and quail. They would remember through how their crops and their barley and their wheat was managed today or on the day years later that they would commemorate from. So they would do this and they would remember where they were and what that, that mental journey and the experience was to be thriving. So that would be an example of one of the, of the lessons from counting the Omer. Omer, by the way, just means sheaf, like a sheaf of barley. So in the scriptures in Leviticus 23, when it talks about, you know, bring a sheaf or uh, a bundle, it's saying uh, Omer in Hebrew. So we would bring that Omer to, uh, for the offering. Another, another value uh, of counting the Omer, and it came later on, and it was something that's more traditional, but it was attached to counting the Omer, and the end of it at, at Shavuot was the receiving of the law, receiving of the Torah that the Lord gave to Moses to be delivered to the people. And that law then provides all of the instruction. It was very much, you know, you follow these rules and you do these things and I will be your God. You'll be my people. I have selected you. And it really was the launching point for the scriptural structures uh, that we come to understand today. Of course, we know the Lord loved people and made people for relationship before then. But that law added a framework that was celebrated on Shavuot and, and at the end of counting the Omer. So the disciples, they knew this. They were good Jewish boys and, and young ladies and older men and younger, you know, the whole range. And they knew the value of counting the Omer. They knew what was at the end in Shavuot. They understood the, the tradition of connecting it to the law and the instruction that God gave to Moses and the hope that's in that law and the outward manifestation, manifestation of things to do for that law. And they got that. But they were also in that time that the Lord had risen, that the Savior had risen. And all of those thoughts and all of those emotions that must have been going on in their head I can't, you know, a week after the fact, what were they thinking? I mean, we don't know for sure. I wonder if they thought a feeling of um, uh, vindication. 
right? Where they would say, you know, well, I don't really care because he got up. He's not dead anymore. So I wonder if they felt vindicated because nobody could stop their Messiah. Nobody could stop them. Who's, nothing's going to effectively stop what they do and, and, and what they follow with the Lord. So they understood that. And they understood the, uh, uh, or I'm sure that they thought about the euphoric side again of just knowing that there's great victory and great sense of uh, hope. And these are some of the things we spoke about or I spoke on uh, about Easter last week. But a week afterward, some of the shock had faded away and they just, I'm sure, I'm sure that some of them just reveled in the great sense of victory that a risen Savior meant. And of course, some of them we know had met with the Savior at this point. So they, I can't imagine how they clung to the words that they had heard him say, that they had heard Jesus say, Yeshua say, and, and, and what those words must have meant. Because right after he rises, he's saying things that are so important and that are so big and so epic and grand that are directives for all of the rest of history. And what that must have meant to those disciples at the time. But really, as I was thinking about this, by the way, it's fascinating. So that the church at one point, way back when, put a Greek name to it for counting 50. And so just like counting of Omer, 49 days plus Shavuot, there was a counting 50, and that's Pentecost, the Greek word for Pentecost, which commemorates and it marks where the Holy Spirit descended on his uh, on that first group of believers, it em- empowered them. It brought those things that the the parts of the Holy Spirit that were promised, the comfort, the boldness that was necessary, the giftings, uh, these types of things. So the disciples, though, they hadn't got to that point, but they were on that, what we know today as that Pentecost journey. They were learning from the Savior, and they were going to be told later on to go and wait in Jerusalem um, for that manifestation. So this is a spectacular time in history. A, this little sliver of time, a week after uh, the resurrection, two weeks after, and three weeks after, really, where they could think on all of the value of counting the Omer, the risen Lord, the reminder of the physical laws that they had to observe, but then the fact that when he rose from the dead, That is big changes. Now the law is written in our heart. And we use the scriptures and we understand the scriptures for giving body and and, and, and depth to uh, that law that's written on our heart and and framework to that law that's written on our heart. It's, uh, I think of that time in those weeks and I just think what an amazing time. So this is my question. With all of that in mind, my question is this. How do you think they prayed a week after he rose from the dead? When the disciples went into prayer mode, whatever they prayed for, whatever they did, how do you think they prayed? Do you think they just mumbled out a few words? Do you think that they just treated it like a haphazard deal? Or do you think that they just hit it with gusto? Do you think they dove into a prayer? I wonder if their prayers were... Uh, big and, and, and passionate and 
meaningful. I, I think of the disciples sitting down and I was trying to imagine myself. If I knew that the Savior had risen and he had defied death and I knew all of these other things about conning the Omer and the reminder of the law and I knew that he was showing up, that, that the Savior, that my risen Savior who had just, just come back from the dead, if I knew he was sharing with people and he was telling new commands and new directives, ginormous directives, I wonder if I would pray in a way that was meaningful. If I would take it very, very seriously. I think that I would have. I suspect all of us would have. If we had gone through that time and we were sitting with, with the Savior or, or talking to the Lord, I would think, I mean, in prayer, I would think that our prayers would be heartfelt, celebration-toned, uh, celebratory type of prayers. I would think that there would be prayers that would be okay, I know you did that. I know you can do anything. So here's what I'm looking for. I want to know what you want from me. And so on and so on and so on. I would think that they would have a lot of passion to them. So I want to look at, with that in mind, we kind of work our journey here. I want to think about how Jesus, how he directed Uh, the disciples to pray from the perspective of the book of Luke chapter 11. And I'll read this. This is 11 verse 5 and I'll read on through three verses. Then I'm going to backtrack and we'll just kind of walk through these verses just a bit. Uh, Then teaching them, this is the NLT version by the way, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. This is before he had risen by the way. So we're able to look back and remember that these were the directives that he gave for them to pray. So when they did pray after the resurrection, this is what they knew. And he said, suppose you went to a friend's house at night, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. And my family and I are still are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, this scripture set comes right after the infamous Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and so on and so on. Well, this comes after that. So he goes through that teaching, and then he says this, kind of this illustration about that portion, our Lord's Prayer portion. So let's look at this and kind of backtrack just a bit now. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. A story after a specific prayer example. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. All right. So we understand this idea of praying for the Lord in a way that would honor the Lord. But he gives this picture. Let's say we go to a friend's house at midnight. You think of a friend. And you go to their house at midnight to bang on the door. It better be a really good friend. Because if I go to friend's house, if I go to a stranger's house or somebody who I don't know very well, and I bang on their door at midnight, I don't think they're going to give me anything I'm asking for. I think they're going to think I'm a loon. More of a loon. And they won't want to help me. I suspect the same thing would happen to you. If you would go to a stranger's house and start banging in the door and asking for some loaves of bread after midnight... I don't know if they're going to want to give you door, uh, give you anything. Plus, they may say, you know, social distancing. And chuck, if they do give it to you, maybe they'll give it to you through the window. I don't know. What we know is, 
if they're not a friend, it's much less likely that somebody would want to give us something. And the point that the, that I believe one of the points that the Lord is making in this is when you ask the Lord, when you, when we seek in prayer, we have to seek with an existing relationship with God. If we don't know God, if we have not ever established a good working relationship with him, if we have never given our life to him and we go and we say, God, I need this. 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 It doesn't make much sense. The point that Jesus is making here is have a relationship, have a relationship. That relationship is what sets the tone for the prayer. No relationship, no prayer. Now, I believe firmly that there are some of you watching and and, and, and partaking in this live stream, and you've never, ever entered into a formal relationship with God. But yet you would love to talk to God. I want to tell you, enter into a formal relationship. Make a commitment. Lord, I want to enter into a formal relationship with you. I will follow you. I believe that you're Lord. And I will follow you as Lord of my life. Enter into the relationship. The prayers are met through these relationships. All right, so we read on. Back to verse 5. So, to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. Do you catch that word borrow? Now, I think this is a funny word to see in a scripture. You know, if we're learning about prayer and about asking for things, why would we see the word borrow? I mean, prayer and borrow don't seem to necessarily go together. So I went back and I checked all of my concordances, or I'm sorry, uh, commentaries, all of them, uh, on what borrow might mean, what it might mean in that sense. I looked at the original Hebrew words for borrow. uh, And do you know, I found nothing of value, nothing other than to say borrow simply means borrow. So the way I believe the scripture, what I believe that the scripture is speaking to is this. If we get something from the Lord, the expectation is that we use everything that we have. We use what we get. We use it to honor his name. We use it to honor him. We use it to honor his kingdom design. It's always about what will honor him. It's always about what positions his glory, what what makes it obvious to see how good he is and how much he cares. I believe that's what the word borrow is speaking to in that sentence. If we go to a neighbor's house and, and at midnight and they or a friend's house and they give us three loaves of bread for borrowing, we're going to have to pay them back. And I believe that the concept here in the scripture is that we're not going to pay God back for what he gives us. We can't possibly offer him enough for what he's done for us. Jesus died on the cross for us. We're not going to die on a cross just, just for him. There would be no believers left anywhere if we all went and died in crosses. But what we can do is we can represent everything that he's done in our life. And we can say he's been good. He gives us hope when we're stuck in our homes. He gives us hope through the hard times. He gives us peace. He directs blessings in our life. And so on and so on and so on and so on and so on. But it, the The idea of borrowing is that we do give back, that we connect to his plan. There's uh, an Old Testament, I think, a very good character illustration of this, and it's Hannah. And she wants a child, and she 
seeks the Lord for a child. She prays, and we know that Eli, the, the priest, gives her some directions on what to do, and she tells the Lord, Hannah does it, that, Lord, if I can have a child, I'll give him back to you when uh, he's old enough. And she did. She followed through, and when her son Samuel was old enough, she left him at the, the temple to be raised and taught uh, the things that, that he needed to do and help with in the temple like for you know to keep it a short story so i think that idea of borrowing hannah understood that in the new covenant it's a little bit different now we don't have some of those types of physical rules and uh but we can still use our life as that evidence of worship the evidence of giving back and honoring the lord with all that we do so when we pray it's important to remember when he answers, and even when we don't see what he's doing, we have to look to give back, to honor his name. So we keep reading, and I think this third one is maybe the most fun, this third point. We slide down but I, in verse 8, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for a friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now that word persistence in Hebrew actually comes from the word chutzpah. Boldness. Uh, audacity. It, 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 persistence actually short sells the word a little bit. So if we read this just this one sentence with the actual Hebrew word, here's what we would get. He will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless audacity, because of your shameless boldness, audacity and boldness, this chutzpah, right? It's, it, it's, uh, there are times if when we seek the Lord, when we pray, here's a today expression for this, pray big, don't pray little. You know, the very nature of prayer is big. The, na- the nature of prayer, when we ask for things, we're asking for things that sometimes can go against uh, the natural flow of things. For example, uh, if we ask for, uh, for God to help with some timing of something in our life, you know, help, the, help me in my career, help me develop my, my timing, we might be asking God to alter the natural flow of our career development. We might be saying, God, help me get that job so I can grow. And the Lord may bless us and move us faster than if we wouldn't have asked. So we could be, in essence, praying could kind of ripple through and affect the natural timing of things. Prayer also can be disruptive and bold uh, if we ask for healing. That's boldness, and that's disruptive. If I'm sick and I'm healed after prayer, that is a major disruption to that viral path uh, or whatever the problem was. It, I mean, it could be after financial lows. You know, there's been times as a believer um, where people have prayed, they've not had any money, they've been hard, down in their luck, so to speak, and finances were tight, and God sovereignly sent some money in their life in, in some sort of way after prayers. And I've known of people who have received large lumps of money after a prayer in order to do amazing things at the kingdom. That is entirely disruptive to a natural order. Maybe that person before the prayer was saving $100 a month, but then God accelerated money to them, and they were able to do what may have taken five years of savings. 
So that's disruptive in a, in a miraculous and a supernatural kind of way. Um, cultural changes, you know, we're all raised with whatever cultural change and in cultural influences our family provided, uh, you know, through birth, birth order or through just the world that we lived in and or even the country that we lived in. And we ask the Lord, Lord, change our our culture, wrap our minds around you and what's important around you. And when we pray for that, we're blowing through old cultural deposits. Some of them were bad deposits. Prayer is disruptive, but we are, we are directed. Jesus directs us to pray with boldness, with audacity. When we ask the Lord for things, ask him for big things. You know, there's a time that we ask for small things. Sometimes we just need our, our needs met. And maybe for some people, that's a big thing, depending where they're at in their life. But there's other times we can pray for these colossal things. My wife and I have started praying for a big thing. I don't want to tell you what it is. We'll see if the Lord does it. It doesn't hurt to ask. And if he does, praise God, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, Then I'll tell you what it is. The key here is what 1 John 5 says. In verses 14 and 15, it says, Pray for what makes him happy, not what makes us happy. But we know that God is very kind. And he does also give us some of the desires of our heart. It's okay to pray for the things that we want. When we pray, pray big. Big, big, big. So my three points, pretty straightforward here. Uh, Make sure there's a relationship. Remember the friend's house, right? Make sure there's a relationship. The second is borrowing when we get our needs met when the lord provides for us we need to have full intention and fully walk through how we're going to recognize what the lord's doing in our life how do we share it how do we uh, tell people about it how do we use it you know i've i've seen people get promotions at work and big money how do we honor what the Lord's done in our life? Maybe it's something about our spending. Maybe it's uh, helping people who are less fortunate. Or, or maybe it's simply paying off bills and honoring the Lord that way. There could be a number of things. And finally, chutzpah. Pray big. You know, it's not just a catchy slogan to pray big. It's a directive to pray big. It's a directive to pray bigger than we know. The Bible says sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. So we might as well ask. Um, I think in this coronavirus time, several weeks ago I spoke of this idea of thriving instead of just surviving. And I want to encourage you to think of your prayer requests in terms of thriving. Pray big prayer requests. Pray bigger as big as you can think. To honor God's name, to honor his plan, to think, uh, to get your thoughts wrapped around what he would do in your life. Don't worry about the stuff that goes on. Pray big, 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 big. Pray for healing. Pray for financial support. And if you're doing well financially, thank you, God. But pray for the other people in your life, other people in our congregation that are being challenged financially because There certainly are some people in our congregation being challenged financially. Pray big. Pray with audacity. Thank Him for the relationship that you have. It's okay to bother Him at midnight. 
it's okay to interrupt him. He's good with that. I don't think he takes rest anyway, do you? So pray big. All right, so I want to spend just a couple minutes, and I want to speak to, if I can, uh, the extension of the stay-at-home. Now, this is not part of the message, obviously, but with uh, Governor Evers having come out and saying we need to uh, be safer at home, I think is the official name of this uh, plan, until May, the end of May. I think it's the 26th, I believe, if memory serves me right. There's a few things I want to encourage you to do. One, stay in prayer. Continue to seek God. Read your word. You know, I, you know, we've talked about it now. I've talked about it here for bits and pieces for several messages. We need each other. We need each other. Stay in the word, but stay with each other. Um, call each other and you know FaceTime or do whatever do whatever you do to stay in contact with each other. Try calling somebody new or try reaching out to somebody new or text them or uh, Instagram. You know whatever I, whatever works, whatever your thing is, do it. We need it. We need to stay with the Lord. We need to look at in the Word how that first community group uh, survived. They didn't, they didn't just survive, actually. They thrived. How do they do that? How do they do that without uh, any, any real consumer place, right? The, no building, no special ministries. How do they do this? How do they know to care for each other so much, to give each other money and, money and sell things for people who didn't have money? How do they know to do these things? Who told them? How do they walk it out? How do they act it out? And the scriptures talk about all of this stuff. How do we apply that now in 2020? So the scriptures are important. And again, the relationships with each other are important. Call each other, reach out to each other. It doesn't matter if you're calling somebody who's single or somebody who's married in terms of uh, socialization. And uh, there are a number of people who are lonely. And there are a number of people who are, you're encouragers. We need you to encourage. I talked about this the other week. Please do encourage this, in this unique time. But there's something else too that I want to encourage you to do, and it's specifically attaching to uh, home groups or small groups or havara. Um, and I recognize that this message is being heard by Grace Christian Fellowship people and Beth Messiah people, so Gracites and Bethites. So. I'm going to try and speak through some of these groups that are specific to each congregation. If you're at Grace and you are not connected to a home group, I want to tell you about some groups that we have. Uh, The Mark and Janet Holman home group, the Jeff and Judy Gavin home group, the uh, Al and Sandy Deering home group are all meeting electronically. They have, they're using a virtual meeting space to connect when they connect and they've just started really doing this. Uh, but the, re- the reports are good. People are glad to do it. So I encourage you to think about doing that. Reach out to one of these folks. Or uh, the Jerry and Sue Bardashevitz home group, they're spending, they just care for each other via phone calls. They're not connecting through the meetings, but they're calling each other and they're staying in contact with each other. And there's just a lot of good concern that way and, and good fellowship even by doing that. It's not as good as being together, but it's something, and it's something that touches lives. The youth group is recording right now, 412 or 7th through 12th grade. They are recording weekly messages from Charlie. Uh, They have some thoughts about potentially trying some new things, but I encourage the youth to plug in and watch that. And, uh, And stay tuned because there may be some new efforts in the future. 
And that brings us to Kevin Fossside's group. He's running right now. Uh, Kevin is also connecting virtually, and this is specifically an age group, uh, kind of college, college and after college, post-college age. Um, but they're also connecting virtually. If you're looking, now I went through these names very, very quickly, Grace. If you're looking for a group to connect with, please call Judy. She can give you the phone numbers or emails. Uh, of the group leaders. And these folks are really good if you want to reach out. They would love to include you in whatever their group is doing. Please do reach out. This is not a time to think uh, you're interrupting or uh, you shouldn't join now. Why shouldn't you join now? Why not? Might as well. The t- I can't think of a better time to connect to a group. It doesn't have to be in person. It can be electronically, you know, virtually or whatever. So please do reach out. Now, at Beth Messiah, we've got two groups. One group. Uh, in One specific group, but then also another group that uh, at least a leader who I know will care for you. So the group I'm speaking of, Havara, is Brian Blanchard, Brian and Karen Blanchard's home group. And I know that there was some discussion and talking about connecting virtually. I believe that there was a virtual meeting last week. Um, call. See what they're doing. You know, it, it's so easy to connect virtually. As long as you've got internet and the right type of device, a computer with a camera and a microphone, uh, a tablet, um, even a smartphone will work, um, you can connect. So call call here, call the building for, uh, call Judy here at the building and she will give you the information to reach out to Brian and Karen, uh, an email, something like that, and then you can figure out when people are connecting and what they're connecting with. Uh, another group, and this is, um, I know the meetings are suspended, but Ted Vinzani leads Plasm, and, and Pam, they're both involved in Plasm. Um, I encourage you to reach out. Ted is a great prayer. Ted and Pam are. Uh, if they hear from you, they'll pray for you and, and talk with you and just have that fellowship with one another. So at Beth Messiah is Brian, Karen, and Pam and Ted, and then at Grace, there's uh, Kevin Fosside, the McCabe's, uh, Charlie and Chantal in, in 412, uh, the Deering Home Group, the Gavin Home Group, and Mark and Janet Home Group. By the way, Beth Messiah also has 412 connected there. Uh, home groups are not... Um, I know it's not as much fun to do it virtually or to do it via phone or whatever, but it is a start and we need each other. And there's nothing that says that home groups are only successful and Havaraz are only successful if people are together person to person. We can be successful and thrive even, thrive if we, uh, if we just reach out and care for one another. And I think that they're wonderful vehicles to do that, these groups. So I want you to know, I pray for you all. I know that my dad prays for you all, uh, the elders in Grace, the elders in Beth, uh, pray earnestly for all of you. And it's a true um, uh, labor of love to pray. And uh, there's ongoing elders meetings and there's ongoing discussions about uh, things that we can do that might be blessing to you. If you have needs, please do call or send an email in through the website um, and we will pray for those needs or we will see whatever we can do. Maybe it's just talking with you. Uh, but we do care and we are concerned. If you've never established a relationship with the Lord, you can do it in your home. And just follow those steps that I gave earlier 
Ask the Lord. Just seek the Lord. Just you and the Lord. Speak like we're speaking in the tele, like you're speaking on the telephone. Just be very natural with the Lord and say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. I look to do that now. Would you be Lord of my life? Would you be my Lord? I recognize you as the Messiah, the Savior. So please do that. What a story that would be to say, in this time of such chaos around, you found peace with the Savior. So with that, be blessed. And uh, I'll close with the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. Be blessed as we walk in the shalom together. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.